midst of it all, um, it was such an honor to actually deliver those baskets with, with David um, last week. We learned, I, I wasn't aware of this, but we learned that, that both families, uh, the parent, it's single mother widowed in, in both of those homes. So uh, just so glad that we were able to bless these families. And um, David said, I, I think I'm probably going to be visiting here regularly because obviously there, there's going to be uh, needs. And so I'm sure that that relationship will, will continue on. So that was, that was wonderful. Well, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, this is the first time I ever ran around with a palm branch and worship God, but I, I couldn't resist when I saw the enthusiasm on the faces of our children. And uh, it's great to step out in faith and try something new to uh, fi- find a, a new way to worship God. So I hope that we'll all be doing that this morning. This morning uh, is about worship. Palm Sunday is about worship, and we're, we're heading towards worship this morning. Um, that's, that's where we're headed. I, I'm going to speak to you for um, a little while, and then we're going to go back into worship because we just felt that that was really the most appropriate response for us on Palm Sunday. And so we're going to talk a little bit about worship and about how our expectations and our agendas can affect our engagement in worship. Three points this morning for you, uh, all about the king waiting for the king, the arrival of the king, and reactions to the king. I want to talk just a little bit about misconceptions. We can so easily have misconceptions even about God. We can have misconceptions about anything, but we can so often have misconceptions, misunderstandings about God and who he is and and what his ways are. Um, One example is, is just the apple. So often we hear that oh, Adam and Eve ate the apple, and we always see pictures of this apple, and, and of course we know it was a fruit. It wasn't necessarily an apple, it was, it was some kind of fruit. Even Jim Gaffigan says, um, he's, a, he's a, one of our favorite comedians, he says, wow, Adam and Eve, they, they got kicked out of paradise for eating an apple. A- an apple. You know, if it was me, I'd be like, cover it in caramel and get back to me. You know, it's like, I, I don't know that I would really, like, take the plunge for an apple, you know. He's like, got any cake back there? You know, like, an apple. But it, it's a misnomer. It, it wasn't really um, an apple. Uh, it, it was a fruit. And so we can have misunderstandings and, and we can have expectations of, of God that don't actually even line up biblically. And so we're going to keep that in mind as we look at what the expectation of Israel for um, at the time of this arrival of the king. So let's begin by, by reminding ourselves a little bit about, about where Israel was coming from and, and their history as we, we consider waiting for the king. So Israel, as you know, began with one man. His name was Jacob. And God changed his name to Israel. And then he had his 12 sons, and, and he blessed those 12 sons. And of course, the, the 12 sons became 12 tribes, and they became a great nation. He had a specific blessing for one of his sons, Judah. And it's, it's outlined in, in Genesis 49, and 49.10 says this, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of nations shall be his. First of all, I just want to mention, it's so important, isn't it, for us to bless our children, for us to, to listen to God and get God's view on our children so that we can speak words of blessing over them and continue to speak to them. And this is, this is what Jacob did, he, and he did this 
under the, the inspiration of God because this was a prophetic word for his son Jacob and for the tribe that would follow. In fact, it was talking about Jesus who would come. And so David, the King David, descended from Judah. And God gave David a promise. He said to David in, in, in 2 Samuel 7, 16, he said, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so this promise came to David. And it's very important because this forms the expectation of Israel. They were always looking for that promise. They were always looking for the, the king to come in the line of David and to establish the kingdom because we know that at the time of Jesus, there, there was no king at that time. G, uh, Israel was without a king. And so when we look back, we understand that Israel was waiting for this promised king. They were waiting for this promise. They were saying, God, you said that David's king would endure forever. There would be an everlasting king on David's throne. Well, looking back, we understand that there are, there are secrets that, that weren't known in the Old Testament. Jesus told his disciples, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. There, there are many secrets, many mysteries that were actually hidden in the Old Testament. I have a little chart for you um, that, that so young um, uh, drew for me. I gave her a, a, a just scratches on a piece of paper, and she created this. And it's just, we, we start out with Jacob, and then the, the nation of Israel represented there by the Ten Commandments. The nation of Israel is created. And then David sits on this throne. And then, of course, the temple is built. And from that time, after they had no king, there was a gap when they had no king. They were always looking for a new king to come to sit on the throne of David. So this is where Israel was at at the time that Jesus arrived. Now, if we go to the next slide, we see that hidden in between there is the cross, and hidden in between there is the church. The church age was hidden largely in the Old Testament as they looked forward. They didn't see the, the, the church age. They did not see that. They were just looking further ahead, which we now know is the return of Christ, is the second coming of Christ. They didn't see that first coming of Christ and the, the, the church age that we're in now. So I just show that to show so that we can understand the expectation of, Je of, of Israel at the time of Jesus because there were these promises of a king. And so there was this expectation of a king who would come and would rescue them from the oppression that they were experiencing un under Rome. And they would come and they would, they would deliver them. And so that's kind of how we enter. That's the setting that we enter Palm Sunday. So on Palm Sunday, there was these great crowds had gathered for, for, of course, the Passover feast. They came from foreign lands because, of course, there were Jews all over, and they all came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was kind of like the, the, the Super Bowl host city. Everyone was traveling. Everyone was coming in. There's a lot of folks from out of town. There was people from everywhere, and they were all there to, to observe the Passover. And so when the Bible says great crowds were gathered, that's what they mean. Now, in addition to this, we know that, that the whole um, procession started from Bethany. So in addition to that, we also want to remember that Lazarus had recently been raised from the dead by Jesus in Bethany. And Bethany being only a, a two-mile journey from Jerusalem, so basically from here to Lohid Mall, uh, many were traveling out to 
Bethany to, to meet Lazarus because word had, had gotten out, and, and I think you probably will remember that there were many from Jerusalem who had come to Bethany at the time of the death of Lazarus, and they were all there to comfort Mary and Martha, and they, they, were, they actually witnessed this, this raising of Lazarus. And so there was all this buzz about Lazarus, and many people came to believe in Jesus because of this miracle that had happened. And so all of those people were then in Jerusalem, and, and they were, many of them, around this time, were also traveling to Bethany. So Bethany, a very small town, was also had a lot of people there, and they were all there, and the buzz was, who is this Jesus? And so that's the setting that happens. And then Jesus, at this particular time, asks his disciples to bring him this young colt. Well, of course, we know that, that the prophecy would have come to mind from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations, his rule will extend from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So we can see now this building of expectation of, okay, the king has come. The king has come. And then sure enough, Jesus gets on that colt, and in he comes. Let's read it together. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark 11. We're going to read uh, verse, starting in verse 7. So Mark 11, we're going to read verses 7 to 10. So when they brought the coal to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And so there we have it, this inaugural moment where Jesus is recognized. Jesus is honored. He's worshipped. The crowd goes wild. Save us, they're shouting. Save us. We believe that you can save us. Blessed is the coming kingdom. We believe that you're the one that we're waiting for. We believe that you're the, this promised son of David. Whenever they said son of David to Jesus, that meant that they believed he was the Messiah that was to come. And so with great enthusiasm, they are all waving these palm branches like we did this morning and throwing down their cords in honor of this king. Have you ever enthusiastically backed uh, a politician, uh, a political candidate? Have you picked up the phone and said, all right, come on down, throw a sign on my, on my front lawn? That's essentially what was going on here. It was, it was yes, we, we, we believe, we're, we're, we're shouting out our allegiance. Jesus has my vote, Jesus for king. And this procession was all about installing Jesus as king. It's almost like they were, you know, wearing hats that say, I've actually got it on the, yeah. <laughs> I, couldn't re I couldn't resist. <laughs> Make Israel great again, you know. Yeah, seriously. This, they had an objective. They had an expectation. The glory days are coming back, and Jesus is going to deliver us. But this wasn't Jesus' agenda, was it? 
we see Jesus' agenda in, in, in different ways in some things that he says and does. What was his, in this inaugural moment, what was his priority? What was he revealing? Well, communion with God, really. Communion with God for the nations. He was announcing that it is the time for God to dwell with his people. He did this in, in several ways. I'm going to mention three. First of all, we see it when he cried over Jerusalem. Luke 19, 41 talks about this. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and saw the city, he wept over it. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you, he said. His desire was that they would recognize God. Despite all the fanfare, Jesus knew that their acknowledgement was capricious, that, that, that it was dependent on them having their agenda met. And so he felt that grief, that loss, that, that it wasn't a true commitment. What he wanted was them, for them to recognize God. Secondly, he wants the obstacles to God to be removed. He clears the temple. He knocks over all the tables that were selling the livestock and, and, and taking money from people so that they can get a sacrifice, so that they can get access to God. And he said this, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This was his intention in his inaugural moment, to clear out the obstacles for the people that are in the way of them reaching God. It's a precursor to the rending of the, of, of the great curtain that was, that was in, the, in the temple that separated the presence of God from people. We know that, that, that curtain was, was rent in two when Jesus died. This is a precursor to that. He's saying, I don't want a barrier anymore. I, I'm clearing the temple. I don't want people to have to uh, uh, offer these endless sacrifices in order to have access to God. The perfect lamb of God was here to make way. The obstacles would be removed. It makes me think of Isaiah 57 when God says, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. This is what the high and exalted one says. This verse in, in, in Isaiah 57 talks about how God is high and exalted. He's so unreachable. He lives forever and his name is holy. He says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. And so Jesus reveals God's heart that the obstacles would be removed and that God would dwell with those who come in humility and with a contrite heart. The third thing that Jesus does is he affirms worship as an appropriate response to his kingship. We see this happening all over the place. And the Pharisees were furious, and they say, make them stop. When they heard the people praising, they said to Jesus, don't you hear what they're saying? They're saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling you son of David. They're declaring you to be the Messiah, and they're worshiping. Make them stop. And we know this, this well-known verse. Jesus says, if they keep quiet, the rocks would cry out. They can't keep quiet. And then once he goes into the temple courts, he starts healing the blind and the, and, and the lame, and the children begin to praise him like they did today this morning. And the Pharisees were enraged once again, and he says, do you hear what the children are saying? And Jesus said, I do. And it's right 
from the lips of even children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And so praise and worship is a kingdom priority. This is the agenda that Jesus had, is to, to remove the barriers so that all nations could come to God. Those who declare that Jesus is their king must worship him. Why? It's the way that we dwell with God. And it's the way that God dwells with us. It's the way that we encounter God. It's almost like there's this parallel universe that, that is, is just a breath away, just a moment away. It's right with us, but sometimes we're not seeing it. It's like, uh, I don't know how many of you have seen the, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the children, they, they, all they have to do is press through the wardrobe. It's tight, there's, there's um, all those fur coats, and they've got to dig through it and press through to the other side to get to this amazing place called Narnia. This is what we need to do. We need to press through and, and enter into worship. And in so doing, we actually get a taste of the kingdom of God. We actually encounter God when we will worship, when we will open our mouths, when we will even just read a psalm out loud by, the, by using our words, because there's so much power in our words to actually declare who God is. This is what Jesus, this was a priority, a kingdom priority that Jesus established on this inaugural day. Well, let's look now, thirdly, at reactions to the king. Reactions to the king. So often our, our preconceived ideas and our agendas, they determine our reactions and our responses. So let's look at how some of the, the Palm Sunday players, how, how they reacted. Well, the Pharisees, we know they wanted to hold on to their position. They were, they were greatly afraid. They had great fear. They had actually bet against the winning horse, the winning candidate. They had, they had bet against him, and, and they had to make plans now to kill him, and they actually wanted to kill Lazarus as well because they needed to try to cover up the, the, the great and wonderful things that God was doing. They said this, "'What are we accomplishing?' Here's this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Isn't it interesting? That's what their unbelief brought. Their unbelief actually brought the destruction. And the Pharisees said to one another in John 12, 19, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So really, we see again these great crowds, and we see the Pharisees, because of their fear, and because of their, their fear of losing what they have, rejecting Jesus. We see Judas. We see his agenda for financial gain. With all of this fanfare as a backdrop, what does Judas do? He goes out and he negotiates cash in exchange for bringing them to Jesus when he's alone. What are you willing to give me, he says, if I deliver him over to you? But it's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' response that, that I'm the most interested in. They offer friendship. It stands out during that holy week to me that Jesus spent so much time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He, he, he was there with them. He was so welcome in their home. And I've wondered why. Why was he so welcome in that home? Why did he go there and feel so welcome? 
I think it might have been that they suffered together. Remember Jesus went and wept with them. I think it might have been that they had a greater revelation of, of who Jesus was. Because remember when Lazarus died, the, the, the words that everyone was saying was, couldn't have Jesus healed Lazarus? Couldn't have Jesus healed Lazarus? And, and the sister said that to Jesus when he did arrive. But you see, Jesus wanted them to have a different revelation of who he was. They knew he was healer already. He wanted them to know him as the resurrection. He wanted them to have a greater revelation of, of him. And so they shared this moment. And because of that, I think there was this great closeness between this family and with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm asking myself, how welcome is Jesus in my home? It, it, does he feel this welcome? Have we gone through celebrations together? Have we gone through pain together? Do I make a place for him? These are questions that I'm, I'm pondering, that I've been pondering in the preparation of this message. And then I want to just specifically look at Mary because she gives us an example of worship. Mary kept growing in her understanding of worship. Remember, previously, she had sat at Jesus' feet and been listening, and she was praised for that. But now, at this particular moment, she's sitting at Jesus' feet, but she wants to do more. And so we know what she does. It says in John 12, verse 3, Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Everyone went crazy with the extravagance of this gift. But she recognized the importance of that moment with Jesus. She didn't take a moment with Jesus for granted. And she forgot about herself. She let go of the, the fear of judgment. And she worshipped Jesus in this extravagant way. She offered something. She gave something in worship. And it cost her greatly. I just want to look again at the crowds and their reaction. The crowds were so fickle, weren't they? Them with all their hats and all their palm branches on Palm Sunday. But where were they a few days later? Where, where were the crowds that were worshiping Jesus when Jesus was crucified? What happened to their worship then? Well, we know that they had a particular agenda, a particular outcome in mind, and it wasn't achieved. They expected Jesus to be crowned king. They expected the glory days of Israel to return. And when their agenda wasn't realized, they forsook Jesus. They failed to recognize the better, higher, weightier agenda of God. But they couldn't worship through their disappointment. I, I ran into a friend this week and I was talking to her about how, how I, I'm sensing as in my preparation for Palm Sunday how important it is for us to worship through disappointment. She um, has faced a, a, a very, very painful diagnosis about her child. And, when I, and she's, she's, she's walked through it so courageously. And when we were chatting briefly in the mall, she said, you know, I tell you, if you can worship through times of disappointment, your life will be changed forever. And it's true. I've seen her courage. I've seen how her life has been changed forever. Can we worship through disappointment? How, how do our agendas affect our worship? There, there, there's many ways to worship. Such an obvious one is opening our mouths to sing. 
Why do we sing to God? I really think it's God's love language. My old worship pastor believed that God actually sang the world into existence, that he sings us into existence. We know he does sing over us. And so what is our reaction to our king? What is our form of worship that, that we bring? And can we bring worship even if our objectives aren't met, even if our agenda isn't met? Are we willing to lay down our agendas? Maybe our cap doesn't say make Israel great again, but maybe our cap says heal my son. Or maybe it says I need financial provision. Or maybe it says take away my pain or heal my dad and then I'll worship you. Bring salvation to the person that I'm praying for. And when our agendas aren't met instead of worship, we utter sentiments of disappointment, like, I thought you were a king. I thought you were a king. I thought you had power and authority. We become like that main character on the shack, furious at God. But Jesus is so much bigger than our agendas. And if we give him an opportunity, he will meet us there. And we're not always going to understand why. Even the disciples didn't understand why until the glorified Christ explained to them what was going on. And there are some things in our lives and some of our our objectives and expectations that aren't met that we won't understand until the glorified Christ explains it to us. There's a song, I, if I had time, I would have played it for you this morning, but it's a little long. And, it, and it's from Disney uh, when they do the Joseph story. And it, it's Joseph, King of Dreams. And he sings this song and it says, you know better than I. You know better than I. You know the way. I've let go of my need to know why, for you know better than I. I love this song, Uh, it's got such meaning for me. After my son and I went down, we went downtown to hear John Piper, and uh, on our way home he sang that song to me. And it was just, this occasion was just before he lost his faith. And I'm praying for my son to get his faith back. But my worship of God doesn't depend on that. I worship God through that disappointment. And I find life there, and I find God there, and I find that I encounter God in that place when I, when I worship God through disappointment. Jesus said about Mary, she did what she could. She gave what she could. She saved something precious for her offering. Lincoln, I'm going to ask you to come back up now, please. It's, it's too easy for us to, to come to church and to think about what can I get. I've got to make sure I get my bread and, you know, hopefully there'll be some good music or this or that. But, but really, we want to, especially this morning, we want to come to give. That's why we've saved time specifically this morning so we have an opportunity to worship. I know it can be costly to worship God in, in some moments. Very, very costly for us. That's what makes it so precious. 
And God does meet us there. Can we say this morning, blessed be the name of the Lord? Can we bless the name of Jesus? Can we lay down our agendas? And, and worship is so much about taking our eyes off ourselves and putting our eyes on God and remembering that he is faithful and reminding ourselves that he is good. He is a loving king. He is a powerful king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who is faithful and true, and he died to show us that. I want to invite you to worship the king today. I'll close with this verse. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship.